Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Nā mihi nui, I'm Alison Balance and welcome to this Our Changing World podcast from RNZ. University of Canterbury researchers Chanel Toms and Ashling Rain work in freshwater conservation. They are strong advocates for the idea that Mātauranga Māori or traditional knowledge should sit equally alongside more traditional Western conservation practices. They recently helped co-author a paper called Reimagining Conservation Translocations Through Two-Eyed Seeing. I catch up with them in Christchurch to hear more. Kia ora, I'm Chanel Toms and I am uh, Ngāi Tahu Ngātukuri and of Ngātuhoi descent. I am also a PhD candidate at the University of Canterbury. I've worked with Kekewai or Kewai or freshwater crayfish, Koda, and I'm currently working with Kākahi, which are freshwater mussels. Incorporating Matauranga principles and with how we work with these species. So there's a lot of knowledge to be gleaned from this area. Like Māori have been here for over 800 years and we've coexisted with these species. So stuff that we can bring to helping develop strategies to help preserve the species. We have a lot of knowledge of how things were prior to colonisation, so we have a lot of knowledge of what the habitats and and stuff were like before developments. I suppose in a way we became part of ecology, part of the cycle. We were instrumental in things like translocation, so we helped with species movements. That's interesting because species translocation, moving species around, is a real sort of linchpin of New Zealand conservation, but it tends to be done with a Western perspective, with a Western science perspective. And what you're basically saying, if if I'm understanding you right, is that we're missing a great opportunity there because Māori know those species, they know the ecosystems they work in, they have a knowledge that we just haven't tapped into before. Māori have a holistic view. A really good example is that down south, you couldn't get karanō, which is a um, papyra species, a, a seaweed. Right, They didn't have the right kind of rocks for it. But they were aware that karanō grew on certain types of rocks. So they didn't just grab the seaweed from somewhere and then plonk it down into this bay. They actually brought the rocks with it. So they were aware of the type of habitat that this species needed. Yeah, I suppose the only way I could really describe it is more of a holistic approach. So it's not just taking the species and putting it somewhere. It's also observing and understanding the requirements of that species and making sure that where they take them is somewhere that they can persist. So with something like kākahi, the freshwater mussel, where are you doing the translocation to and is that a place that you knew, for instance, that there used to be kākahi there but they've disappeared from there? Okay, so my research is actually focusing on understanding the requirements for translocation. I mean, our environment's changed so much now that um, personally I feel that it wouldn't be a good practice to just pick an animal up and just pop it somewhere when I don't know what it really requires or, you know, if that habitat is actually okay for it. 
So um, I think what we needed to do is we need to do more investigations. Well, that's what I've been doing, more investigations as into the kind of substrate that they prefer. Do we really know what kind of substrate they prefer? You know, people say that they're found in sort of like soft sediments. I've done a survey and I've found them in all kinds of sediments. I've found them amongst boulders, you know, gravels, cobbles. So maybe there isn't such an important consideration. Maybe it's other things. So did Māori move kākahi around? There's a lot of speculation. So there's a lot of speculation that we did. Okay, so for the South Island Naitahu, we have what we call the um, Ka'aratawhito Trail. So we had these trails which were used for trade routes. And what I found quite interesting is when I looked at historical distribution from like the 1850s and that, they kind of match quite nicely to those trails. And then when I did my survey, I've actually put that over those trails and it's like, hmm, I need to do more analysis on that. But just from looking at it, it looks like that they are matching up quite nicely to those trails as well. But I think that one of the strongest bits of evidence that we might have to suggest that Māori were very involved in translocating species is that we have a species of freshwater mussel, Ecradella Aucklandia, and they're in the far north. Um, I think there's some just above around Wellington area, and then there's nothing in the South Island until you get to the deep south. So there's this great big gap. So even though mussels need fish hosts to uh, recruit to new areas, they're usually on a fish for about 20 days, but I doubt very much that the fish has swum from Wellington down to the bottom of the South Island. So that does strongly suggest that maybe Māori were involved in translocating. So this is obviously only one aspect on the project you're working on. So what are the kind of points you covered in the paper, what were the issues you were trying to raise that you thought were important? Kia ora, I'm Ashling Rain. I'm a Pākehā PhD candidate at the University of Canterbury. Well, I think really our paper centred around our partnership and what that looks like in, in our particular context because we have a really fantastic group that encompasses knowledge of all kinds. For example, I work with DNA, so I'm a geneticist, and that's a really useful tool that is incorporated quite frequently into translocations and threatened species management. Uh, But that's only one tool in our toolbox, and we also have people who have a lot of knowledge around ecology, around mātauraka, and language practices and also connections to the land and to the people around these areas. And so when we bring all of those aspects together and we're able to weave things like our Western science, our mātauraka Māori, and all the practices and people that that encompasses, then we have a really strong approach that is incredibly well-suited to our local context here. And so, for example, we are working really closely with Tuhaitara Coastal Park, uh, which is just a half-hour drive from here, and Te Nohuaka o Tukio'o, which is another wetland further down in um, Otako. For the paper, because we're focused here in this local context, Te Tiriti o Waitangi, the Treaty of Waitangi, was really central in framing how we work together as partners. I guess for us, our, our partnership within the framework of Te Tiriti or Waitangi was really centred around governance or genuine co-governance by mana whenua, uh, so the people are with authority over the land. And that means that all decisions around these translocations are led first by Māori 
and that any research from then is entirely co-developed and co-designed and that everyone's involved from the very start to the to the very end. It's not consultation with local iwi or local renanga, it's engagement, so we actually work with them. And as a scientist, when we conduct experiments um, on animals, it's not always possible to return them from where we were able to um, source them from. And so they are sometimes euthanised. However, for myself, I'm Māori and I don't believe in that. So um, the good thing is where they were sourced, even though it's a wee way from here, is within the same Rūnanga Takiwa. So working with the Rūnanga and um, talking with the right people. After I'd finished with my experiments, I was actually able to give them back to the Rūnanga where they had found somewhere to place them. So I was quite happy with that. Yeah, so that is a translocation, but it's not really a translocation because it's we've gifted them back, and then um, this, that is what the Rūnanga has decided to to do, is to place them in an area. But that's their decision, and so it should be. It is their takiwa, it is the area, and they're the ones that should say, you know, what's going on and what's not, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. When we're censoring uh, mātou, like a Māori, and in general indigenous knowledge, then what we do is we have far more of an intergenerational focus and taking a much more holistic approach we end up particularly for our species that often don't have quite so much attention in conservation western science such as our freshwater species here in Aotearoa we have a much better chance that they're going to be monitored and cared for long into the future because Local people and communities have been involved from the very start and that is their place and their land, their waterways and and their species. And through that connection, it's much more likely that those early translocations will go on to become a thriving ecosystem long, long into the future. And for example... To Haitara Coastal Park and Tenohuaka Otukiyo'o, these translocations are part of a 200 year long vision for the future. And so we are just now taking those first um, early steps to begin restoring and enhancing those ecosystems. I think the biggest issue with a lot of translocations worldwide is that there's this big lead up to the event. There is the big event, which is very well publicised, and everyone gets in on that. Then the animals are translocated, whether they're terrestrial, freshwater or whatever. They're translocated, and then there's no follow-up. There's no monitoring. There's no way of telling really how they're doing. You know, they don't, It's not actually part of the plan. So the plan that they set out is to actually put them in this area, but then there's no follow-up. Whereas when we're doing it alongside Runanga, when we're doing it as part of engagement, then we know that they're very much invested in it as well. And um, there is going to be ongoing monitoring. We are going to find out how well these populations are doing. You know, we are going to get that information. So by writing the paper, what were you hoping to achieve? Set out a, a model that other people can use? Set, set a challenge and go, I think we could be doing this differently and better? This paper was published for an international audience. We spoke from where we could speak from, which is the places and the people that that we work with, in the hope that there are lessons there that others elsewhere can take away. And we did end up putting together a very general model, if you like, 
but all that model really encompasses is that it relies on trusted relationships, genuine co-governance and co-development of uh, these conservation translocations. We also talked about the two-eyed seeing framework that McMuck Elder Dr Albert Marshall describes as bringing together the strengths of one knowledge system with the strengths of one or many other knowledge systems and so really it's just a way to capture that there are many different ways of, of knowing and seeing and that they are all valid and important and when you bring those together then you can achieve really profound change Speaking from a Māori perspective, we have a very holistic view of things and very good view and understanding of the big picture. For me, for the other side of the two I'd seeing is the scientific side, where it's more compartmental. So they look at an issue and they see it almost kind of like tunnel vision with this issue. And they can bring a lot of understanding and knowledge on this issue, but it's, yeah, it's still only this little wee compartment, but being able to incorporate this whole holistic stuff with it means that um, we can expand on that and it actually becomes something that can be applied. There are many different ways of thinking about how we might bring together different people and knowledge systems to try and achieve these common goals. It's like monitoring. You've got your standard, like I suppose, scientific way of monitoring. I think like Māori had the cultural health index, so neither is better than the other but they just address or look at things from a different perspective. But they still come up, They still give very valuable information, yeah. It's not about you know, assimilating or integrating Indigenous knowledge into Western science and by Western scientists. It's about bringing people together who all come with their own knowledge and practices and perspectives and through partnership then we can begin to collectively um, apply those different knowledge systems. With these translocations, we've been weaving uh, genomic data, uh, so using DNA alongside ecological knowledge and mātauraka Māori to co-develop these translocation strategies for species such as kōra and kōwaro. And, for example, uh, Levi Collier-Robinson, who was a co-author on the paper, his ancestors had a lot of knowledge around uh, the Canterbury Plains. And for Kōwaro, which are now critically endangered, and we don't have so much knowledge in Western science on their historical distributions, he's able to go back to the knowledge of his ancestors, uh, some of which is captured in the Kaitahu archives and begin to think about how their distribution of the past might be influencing the patterns that he sees in their DNA today. And so for him, he's able to bring together his Western science expertise and the mātauranga that he carries from, from his tipuna, uh, which is a really powerful approach for conservation. Thanks, Ashling. Ashling Rain and Chanel Toms are at the University of Canterbury and they are two of the co-authors of a paper called Reimagining Conservation Translocations Through Two-Eyed Seeing. I'm Alison Balance and this Our Changing World podcast from RNZ first aired on the 25th of February 2021. You can find photos and links at our webpage 
rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. And the subscription link for our free email newsletter is at the bottom of the page. You'll find us as RNZ Science wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're on Apple, please rate and review us as it really does help other people to find us. Also, do check out the podcast tab at rnz.co.nz. There's a new series of the New Zealand Wars, Stories of Tainui. There's a video and also a podcast. We are on Facebook and Twitter as RNZ Science. Many thanks for your company. Kia pai tora. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.